At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. God, we talk to you this moment and this morning. Because we have no other hope, we sing of praising your name, God, because we're desperately aware of our inadequacies. So lean in close, listen to us, answer us, because in this Thanksgiving season, so many are hurting. We're more aware than ever how fragile our ways of life are. We know of so many who are hungry or jobless or isolated or have lost their motivation for life. We are weary, God, of COVID, of loss, of endless fights over the kingdom of earth, over our habits and traditions being altered. We feel tired. Our world's troubles seem to be rising like a tide that's battering us down and there's no end in sight. We've looked to your people, the church, and even then at times we felt betrayed. We've looked to our family and even they haven't been able to heal our hurts. How long, oh God, until you make all things new? Yet you, God, are good. We have trusted in your unending love. And so our prayer is to you. Be gracious to us, God. Giving us strength. Giving strength to your daughters and sons to display your hope in our community. Preserve your church that we may be obedient to your word and faithful to your character. Defend the weak and care for the helpless in your world, God. Use our wealth and energy to shower those far from you with your love. Do not waste this time of unrest and unease in this world and even in our church, God. For you are merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. You know all of our longings, all of our needs, all of our stubborn fears. And you are victorious over anything that's in our future. You are the provider we can depend on. So we trust in you. Keep us trusting God. We are so grateful and praise you by our thanks today. In your name, by your work, we get to say, Amen. Church, this is a big week on top of a big season. It's Thanksgiving. But the year has not led kindly to this week. And so I think as we approach this week, it's appropriate for us to ask the question, how 
can we be thankful during hardship? How can we be thankful during hardship? It's a fair question. And as we approach this week that we traditionally set aside for giving of thanks, I think most of us would find it easier to think of all the ways that we're not satisfied. It wouldn't take long to draw up the beginning of that list. Your meal may not include any guests from outside your household, and you're missing their presence. Your employer may be having a slow year, and you're nervous about financial stability. Your daily routines, they've been changed. You might even be limited to your house. You're asking and aching for openness. At the end of the day, another disease has entered the world we call human history. Maybe even our families. We want healing, restoration, recovery. How can we be thankful during hardship? I was reading last week, really rereading, um, The Hiding Place. It's kind of an autobiography by Corey Tenboom. I hope you've read it. If you haven't, you, you now have your, your Thanksgiving and Christmas season reading. I think it's even free on Audible right now. So you heard it here first. Uh, grab it and, and listen. And I, I was struck again by what is really now a famous part of one of the later chapters where Corey Tenboom and her sister Betsy are being transferred to yet another concentration camp. They're a Dutch family who have been arrested for aiding and helping those that the Germans had been tracking down and dragging away. And so now they themselves are facing that same fate and they find themselves in Ravensbrück, a concentration camp for women. And, and honestly, this passage that has gotten a lot of attention for good reasons is, is just like the simplest discomfort that millions of people endured or were killed during. And, and so the discomfort itself isn't what's eye-opening so much as the response of Betsy Tenboom, Corey's sister. And the, the passage goes like this, they've just entered the barracks of this new camp to them after what has been a grueling several months, and they're being shoved into these quarters that were built and designed for about 400 occupants, but are housing instead about 1,400 occupants, and the, the bunks are stacked one over top of each other from the floor all the way to the ceiling, and the aisles are so narrow you can't get through, and nothing inside is sanitary, and there's no plumbing, and there's no control, and they're being violently mistreated. And as they're getting into the cots that have been assigned them, Corey Tempin recounts that the decks, the bunks, the decks above us were too close to let us sit up, so we lay back struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. And suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross lats above because something was pinched, pinching my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. How can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she, Corey, was praying. 
sorry, she, Betsy, was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be banishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, as he always does, in the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. This is the passage that Corey recounted from their earlier devotions in secret that morning. It was 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18, which reads, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's it, Corey. That's his answer, Betsy said. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. I'm humbled and encouraged by my sister in faith's testimony in a season of hurt that was far worse than what I'm experiencing. And it's the beginning of the answer to our question. How can we be thankful during hardship? At the end of the day this morning, we're going to discover that we can be thankful during hardship because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, and we see that truth repeated throughout the entirety of Scripture. And we're going to see it today specifically in the book of Lamentations chapter 3. So I invite you to turn in your Bible with me to Lamentations chapter 3. And we'll be right around verse 20 and following, but we'll jump around in the book as well. And I admit, it may seem odd that to answer this question we have about thankfulness, we would turn to a book named for a lament over devastation. But what the prophet Jeremiah did when he was composing this inspired literature was to turn his and his nation's turmoil and hopelessness into worship and lasting peace. And that same journey is the journey that we have to go on today in order to understand how we can be grateful, how we can give thanks in this season. The author, Jeremiah, through spirit-inspired lament, turned to his faithful God. We too can lament and in God's faithfulness choose to find reasons to give thanks. So let me start in in Lamentations chapter uh, 3. We're going to be at verse 16. But maybe even before we get there, I I want us to understand some some common terms here. Because I don't know that lament is a common practice For most of us. Frankly, more than any other time in human history, I think those living and alive in the room today have had fewer reasons to lament than perhaps anyone in human history. 
Mark Rogop, in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, which I would highly recommend to everyone in this season as a book to read, describes lament in this way. Lament, he says, is the language of suffering which is being transformed into trust-fueled worship. It's the conversation we have where we bring our pain and our hurt and our fears, we bring our turmoil, you might say, and allow God to help us transform it into something that's worship. And, and really, lament is a conversation that goes to different phases. You might say it has various steps, and sometimes they're even helpfully in order. We see that throughout many of the Psalms and other sections of Scripture. But really, the order isn't as important as the journey being inclusive of each element. And in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark uses this structure and wording to describe what we see in biblical lament. And I'm going to borrow his words throughout our service today in order to journey through a lament. A lament has these steps. First, we turn to God. Then we bring our complaint. Then we ask boldly of God. And then we finally choose to trust. Turn to God, bring a complaint, ask boldly, and choose to trust. And we're going to follow that pattern. Jeremiah uses that, this pattern in his book, Lamentations. That's where we get the term. And we need to, I just can't recommend this enough, we need to be leveraging this attitude of a conversation with God in order to grow and thrive during hardship. So I hope that not only is this tool going to help us to understand how we can give gratitude in this season as we look at this book of Lamentations, but I also hope that in using this tool, you are encouraged to leverage this tool in your own life, from your own pains to your God. So in Lamentations three sixteen, Jeremiah says this, says, he, talking of God, he has made my teeth grind in gravel. He has made me to cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah starts off with step number one, turning to God. And I'll admit, this passage, these three verses may not make it seem like Jeremiah is turning to God. In fact, it seems a whole lot like he's given up on God. My soul is bereft of peace. I don't even know what happiness is anymore. My hope from the Lord has perished. I want to encourage us, though, to see past his expressions of pain and notice that he is expressing them to God. Yet Jeremiah is feeling hopeless, but he's taking that hopelessness to God. But it doesn't read like a testament to strong faith. But isn't that the greatest testament to strong faith? He's expressing his sorrow 
to God. He turns to God. Just like we can address God when we come to him in prayer or when we come to him in song or as we approach his word or as we encourage our brothers and sisters in our life group. So the author Jeremiah turns to God by writing this book, this passage. And we're skipping straight into the heart of what is five chapters of eloquent Hebrew poetry that wanders through the nation's collective grief. And we're not going to have time to express really any of the rest of this book. And it's gorgeous. In Hebrew, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, all are acrostics. Each chapter starts, each line of the verse with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in successive order, 1 through 22. Chapter 3 is the only outlier. In fact, it triples that acrostic. And every three verses starts with that first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and then the second. It's all orderly. It's all ingenious. It's all heartfelt and purposeful. Jeremiah took time to turn to God in a beautifully tragic condition. He turned to God. Because God is faithful, we too can turn to him. For the sake of time, honestly, we're going to keep moving. We have three steps more to get to. But in life, this is often the spot that we hang up at the most. We don't even take the first step towards being able to find gratitude in a hard season. Because of our pain, because of our distraction, because of our shame, perhaps, we don't bring ourselves to God. Sometimes we think he must not be good enough or powerful enough because I'm in this mess. And we stay away from him. God gives us an example in Jeremiah and says, In the greatest mess of a people's history, still turn to me. As Jeremiah does. In our Thanksgiving season, even when we're not sure that he'll come through, let's turn to God and allow that to bring us to the next step of lament, bringing our complaint. We bring our complaints. We identify in blunt language specific pains or injustices. We're, we're asking God why or, or how or for how long. When will it stop? And Jeremiah dedicates Thousands of words to this, bringing complaint after complaint and hardship after hardship before God. But we'll pick up right at verse 19, where Jeremiah says, God, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. He references the, the bitterest and foulest things he can think of to his taste and to his smell and to his senses. He says, my soul continually remembers it. And is bowed down within me. This is the complaint of a broken man. He's speaking to what he had just lived through. What he had just experienced. When the city of Jerusalem was in an ever-tightening siege by Babylon's armies. He was stuck inside and witnessed the fabric of Jerusalem society begin to unravel. He saw mothers starving, eating their own children. He saw idolatry flourishing as people cried out to any and every God for deliverance. 
He saw prophets start speaking lies in order to try to somehow find themselves favor and power. He saw God's people turn against him, labeling him a traitor and a spy and imprisoning him because he spoke the truth of God's coming justice. And then the Babylonian army won. And we tell stories of David and Goliath. We tell stories of Moses in the Red Sea. Mostly because we want to be David and Moses and win. Sometimes the Babylonians win. And God is using them against us. The bad guys terrorized God's people for day after day after day until no building was left standing. No family was left without dead, dying, enslaved, or broken spirits. And Jeremiah somehow is left with a remnant of people that despaired even to live still more. So he goes on to write this lament. If you turn a few pages over to chapter 5, at verse 20, he, he says this, Why do you forget us forever? That's a complaint. Why do you forsake us for so many days? Jeremiah brings his hurts. He goes to God, he turns to God, he starts there and then he brings his complaint. And that's a wonder that we should all be constantly amazed by. Not that we have grief. We've been promised pain. Some, we just talked about last week, from righteousness sake we experience affliction and persecution. Yes, Jesus promised us that. I hope that's the affliction we're facing. But also, because of our rebellion against God, brokenness and sin and destruction and struggles against ourselves is a part of our story. That's a promise of the curse to us. And it's our fault. And so the ones at fault against whom we have wronged, God still invites us to bring him our hurts. And even embodied our hurts in his body, on a cross, so that he could say that he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So that he could say, he is a God who is acquainted with grief. We get to bring complaints to the one whom we have wronged. That is mercy. In fact, Kenneth Mitchell, a pastor and author of the book, All Our Losses, All Our Griefs, summarizes this theological idea by saying this. Theologically speaking, as we understand the truth of Scripture, the practical theological question shouldn't be, why do we suffer? That, that's not a theological correct understanding of our existence. Instead, it should be, who suffers with us? Amazed and, and marveling at the fact that the one we have wronged, God himself suffers with us. And we get to bring our complaints to him. What a gift. Because God is faithful, we can bring him our hurts. 
We can bring our pain to God because he's good and he's faithful and he suffers with us, which leads us then to ask him boldly. In the very next verse here in chapter 5, after saying, why do you forsake us? Jeremiah says, restore us to yourself. He boldly approaches God with all of these complaints, five chapters worth, and says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. Jeremiah asked boldly of God to act. Because as we understand that God is faithful and we gain the confidence to specifically call upon him then to act in a manner that fits his character and resolves our complaint. Since he is faithful, we can ask him to work. And yes, there's a humility mixed with this boldness. Even Jeremiah in the next verse, as he says, renew our days of old, says, unless you've utterly rejected us. And you remain exceedingly angry with us. Yes, God works in mysterious ways. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the weak to shame the strong. But he works all things for his glory and the good of his people. So we can ask boldly for him to work in those ways. Because God is faithful, we can ask him to work. Which leads us to perhaps the, the hardest part of finding gratitude in this season of hardship. Having vented our hurts and pleaded for resolution with God, we then choose to trust. We choose to trust by agreeing with history and all of Scripture that God is worthy to be trusted. And then we commit to letting that reality, letting that truth affect us. Back in Lamentations chapter 3, look at verse 21 with me. This is where Jeremiah turns to God. He says, I'm trusting you. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Remember, this is Jeremiah. He's sitting next door to ashes and the bones of his people. He can still hear the echoes of their cries of agony. He can't unremember the horrors he saw. And he says, steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies don't come to an end. He's choosing to trust what he knows to be true about God. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. Verse 26. It's good that one should wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. Verse 31. The Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. He does not afflict from his heart. Or grieve the children of men. Choosing to trust means that we, like Jeremiah, 
agree that God is worthy to be trusted and then commit to let that affect us. To praise, to be thankful, to obey, to cease from fear, to choose to love. Because God is faithful, we can trust him. Not because we have it going well for us. Not because we are trustworthy. Because God is faithful. Jeremiah, looking at the broken friendships and community and city and nation, breathed out his complaints and requests to God. And then transitioned, turned, took the final step to find God as faithful, merciful, working all things for good, leveraging this moment of waiting in brokenness for a purpose, seeing that God was a portion that is enough. We can be thankful in hardship because God is faithful. And what a gift to us to be able to approach him turning to him, bringing our complaints, asking boldly for him to work, and then in the middle of waiting, knowing that it's good for us to wait patiently for the Lord's work, to choose to trust. Because ultimate hope doesn't come from a good change in our circumstances. Ultimate gratitude is not anchored in life going well. Our hope and source of thankfulness in any season is the goodness of a powerful and faithful God. Jeremiah looked to the promises he knew from God. A compassionate restoration of the land, of a people, of a blessed Messiah promised to come to rescue his people. And he was confident of God's faithfulness to those promises through the spirit he ended up speaking of even more than he realized because while his generation was waiting for a salvation of a nation state you and i have gotten to experience the eruption of a holy larger kingdom of god while jeremiah sits weeping and writing this lament The Babylonians were still likely on their journey dragging slaves from Jerusalem back to the capital. And one of those slaves, Hebrew name was Daniel, would one day see a vision of God's kingdom crushing all kingdoms of the world and would grow into a mountain, a kingdom that could not be destroyed. What Jeremiah didn't see yet but was being revealed in small pieces over time as he chose to trust God, was that God was never not faithfully advancing his greater rescue. God was not going to settle for merely rescuing a nation's state. God was going to establish his kingdom in the souls of all people and every nation through the greatest act of faithful love and sacrifice imaginable. God himself in our place for our sins, wearing our curse For us. Today we get to look at that same God. Compassionate, abounding, and loyal love. And we get to look to his great and precious promises to us. 
Promises to never leave us or forsake us. Promises to finish the good work he's begun. Promises to give us wisdom when we ask of it. Promises that our salvation is secure no matter what comes to our life. Promises that he is coming back to make all things right. And because Jesus died in our place for our sin as we repent of choosing to try to be enough or choosing to live the good life or choosing to earn his love or choosing to go our own way and believe on him alone, we're made alive to see a savior and a love and then to get to experience a life for a faithful God who teaches us how we can be thankful no matter what that life experience feels like. So this week, maybe our houses don't feel as full as we'd like them to be. Maybe we're not sure the meals will be there after Thursday. Our life may be dramatically painful. We still can be thankful. Turning to God, bringing our complaints, asking boldly for the work he loves to do to be done in our lives and the lives around us in the world. All the while choosing to trust, not because we're tough enough, not because we're brave enough, not because we have it together, not because we're worth it, but because God is faithful and worthy. Because God is enough, because the Lord is our portion. We don't have to have enough trust to trust God. We can ask for that grace from the God who sure has a track record of never sparing any expense for the good of those he is rescuing and bringing to life. As Romans 8 says, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who should bring a charge against God's elect, God's people? It's God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So who should separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation? Should distress? Should persecution or nakedness or danger or sword, nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love that is our life, the love that is our identity, the love that lasts beyond the life that we will live, however pitiable that life may be. So can we be grateful in a season of hardship? Yes. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us to be thankful and to praise his name because he is worthy, because he is faithful. And let's be thankful because of that truth. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.